Hey, it's Chris, the Supply Chain Doctor and host of Supply Chain is Boring, bringing insight into the history of supply chain management and exposing you to some of the industry's thought leaders and driving forces. In this episode, we sat down with Gary Smith, Chief of EAM and Supply Chain Management with MTA New York City Transit, to ask what EAM is and what a supply chain professional does as a civil servant. It all sounds pretty boring, so let's see if Gary can prove me wrong. Gary, thanks for investing time with me today to better get to know you and discuss careers in supply chain management. Thanks, Chris. I really appreciate the opportunity and uh, look forward to the interview. So just to level set the audience a little bit, Gary, you and I, we met when you lived in Atlanta. So that's kind of a precursor for one of my questions. You were pretty active with, I think at the time it was CLM, which is now CSEMP. I look forward to learning more about your, your career journey. But before we get there, let's, let's go back a little bit earlier and tell me kind of where you're from, where you grew up, where you went to college, those kind of things. I was born in St. Paul, Minnesota. And I actually consider myself a second generation supply chain person because my father when I was growing up, worked for various catalog retail companies. He started out when I was in St. Paul at Montgomery Wards. I don't know if many of your listeners ever remember Montgomery Wards, but they were a, a huge catalog operation. In fact, the big three back in the 60s were Montgomery Wards, JCPenney, and Sears. We uh, moved around quite a bit. In fact, we moved to York, Pennsylvania, where my dad worked for McCrory's, which was a large retail, what they used to call a dime store, major competitor was uh, was Kresge at the time, which became Kmart. And when I was seven, my dad took the kids and toured a, his distribution center on a Saturday afternoon. And that was the first time I was actually in a distribution center. We would do that every every couple of months and just to get out of the house on a, on a winter weekend. Then he, we moved to Milwaukee when uh, J.C. Penney started their catalog division in the, starting with in Milwaukee in 1964. So I'm dating myself. Yes, uh, I am that old. Anyway, he worked for the J.C. Penney Catalog Center there, toured that center many times. In fact, I worked in it the summer I graduated from high school. Moved to Atlanta in 1968 when my dad became uh, manager of the J.C. Penney Catalog Center in Forest Park. That was, I then uh, went to college at Georgia Tech, graduated from there, and my first job out of school was as a supervisor at JCPenney in Forest Park. I've spent my entire career basically in supply chain management. Of course, back then it was, you know, we called it physical distribution, and then it became supply chain management somewhere in the, the, the 90s or the late 80s. Uh, moved into consulting after I left Penny's and worked for a number of boutique firms. I also worked for KPMG, worked for several architectural and engineering firms, married, stayed, stayed in Atlanta and uh, until um, I moved to New York in 2004. Before we get there, Gary, where, where'd you go to university? I went to, went to Georgia Tech. Okay, that, that makes sense with a lot of the the things you were talking about, consulting, I that seems to be the gra place. Graduated with an industrial management degree, which no longer exists. One of the presidents after I left switched it around and it became basically a business school, you know, that school of business, et cetera, and things like that. But industrial management was 
what I always called it industrial engineering without the drawing and the extra calculus. Now it's either business. They, they also have a really excellent supply chain school too. So as you well know. One of the best in the world. You're still active with the university or you do things with them. I know they, they're one of the reasons I'm asking. I, I teach in their continuing education department, supply chain management. So I, I don't know if you do anything like that. I don't. I just, you know, you know, support them financially every once in a while when they ask for money. Yeah, I, I, I still consider the fact that I graduated from Georgia Tech one of the reasons for my success. And go back to that, what I, what I learned there. So you talked a little bit about the consulting career. So what some of the companies that you work for, that seems to be a natural progression. And you were even in the operations side, as you said, with JCPenney. So that, that makes sense. You understood the business. You could design facilities, design processes. So you've always been, what, in the warehousing side of it, at least up until recent? Yes, I, I was in the warehousing side of it from an operations standpoint. But the consulting side, I got into inventory management, inventory control, warehouse design, network design, a lot, and then also into strategic planning and things like that as well. It really gave me a, a real breadth of experience. Plus, it also got me a lot of experience in a lot of different organizations. So, you know, I mean, I, I worked for, with chemical companies, manufacturing companies, automotive companies, retail, and it gave me a, a lot of background in, into different types of inventory, different requirements of those inventories, you know, storage requirements, as well as, uh, you know, handling requirements, as well as temperature control, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it, it really helped expand my horizons. And one of the reasons I love supply chain is that you can never stop learning about it. There's always another place. I mean, you know, even today I was listening to supply chain now and they were talking about, uh, digital engagement. And it was an area that I had never really been involved in. And I found it fascinating. So there's always something else to learn in this organ. You know, you, you've got your areas of expertise, but then finding out new things is always uh, one of the great adventures in, in, in supply chain management. My friend in Atlanta, when I knew you here, you, you've got a different job in a different region of the country. So you were talking about, before I changed the topic a bit, moving to New York. How did that happen? Well, that happened because I was working for an architectural and engineering firm in um, 1999, 2000, 2001 era, and was basically laid off of there when e-commerce fell flat due to uh, over-speculation, yes. And I was laid off from there. And then I spent a couple of years, I was still living in Atlanta, but I spent a couple of years uh, as uh, as a consultant on my own. And what I started doing is subbing myself out to larger consulting firms. One of those happened to be KPMG, or I take that back as actually by this time they'd broken off uh, and became uh, bearing point. One of my uh, friends that I had worked with there uh, was a uh, senior manager, and she had me come in to do a, a project with the New York City Housing Authority. Got involved in that and did a project with them for about six weeks, wrote a report, and then came up with, you know, you can do a lot of great things here, and just kind of left it at that. And so went off and worked on another project in, it's still in, in, a, in Atlanta. I got a call from her six months later, and she said, you know, we've had some changes up here. 
the new deputy director that was saw your report was very interested in it, wanted to talk to you about it. So we arranged a phone call. I was in Atlanta and I was doing this presentation over the phone. This is back in the no technology days. So it was just over the phone. And we were flipping through the report doing this presentation. And when I finished, I was in my office in, my, uh, in, the, in our house. And when I finished, I walked out and my wife said, how, how did it go? And I said, I think I gave myself a B plus. I think it went pretty well, but I'm talking to the government. If there's any add-on work, it might be three to six months down the road. Three hours later, my friend calls me from Bearing Point and says, they want you up here Monday morning. And that started a year's worth of consulting work where I subbed to Bearing Point and was working for the New York City Housing Authority and doing a lot of inventory control work in their warehousing operations, et cetera. I would travel up there, you know, every week. After about a year, they were looking for a new director of their material management group. And I had been helping contact there, my, uh, the deputy uh, director, look for people. And she said, I can't find anybody I really like. And so I was talking, and then I went and talk, talked to my friend at, at Bearing Point, And she said, Why? you might want to take it. And I thought about it, talked to my wife. I said, you know, it would require a move to New York. But, you know, it seems like a, a great opportunity. It was, you know, I said, you know, I could at least do it for five years and then I'll find something else. So we decided, I walked in to my client and I said, you know, I'd be interested in, in talking to you about it. And she got up, shut the, shut the door to her office and we sat down and we hammered out the requirements and I was basically hired on the spot. I worked for, for her for almost 10 years. Then there were some management changes at uh, the New York City Housing Authority. I was director of we changed the name of the materials management to supply chain operations, and we worked pretty well there. And then there were some changes in the operations, and then she started, I was reporting to another person. And then the opportunity came up. There was an opening for vice president of uh, supply logistics at the New York City Housing Authority. So I put in for that, was fortunate enough to get the job. It took, that one took six months to, to get. It was a bit slower process. And then I was uh, vice president of supply chain operations or supply chain supply logistics for New York City Transit, which is the subway and bus arm of the MTA. The MTA is, is uh, five agencies, which is New York City Transit is about 80% of it. Then there's uh, the Long Island Railroad, which is their com commuter rail out to Long Island. There's the Metro North, which is... Uh, their commuter uh, railroad that goes up into, uh, you know, up into upstate New York and into uh, Connecticut. Then there's uh, the bridges and tunnels, which is, does all the maintenance of bridges and tunnels in the city. And the fifth area is their capital. So I was vice president for about five years. And then we changed the MTA got into what, what is called enterprise asset management, which is the managing of all of their physical assets optimally so that you can buy things, repair them, update them, et cetera, and then dispose of them in, a, in the most efficient manner possible. And the MTA has, you know, several billion dollars worth of assets, as you can imagine, with all their rail, all their buildings, all their buses, all their subways, all their trains, et cetera. So with my background, 
I moved into that area as what, what they call chief of enterprise asset management slash supply chain management. And in that area, what I do is I look at opportunities to take the EAM functions, which are trying to make sure that things are repaired uh, on a timely basis and stay, stay repaired and make sure that we have the appropriate infrastructure in the supply chain to manage, uh, make sure that we have the, the right materials at the right time and the right place and the right people to, to put those things together. So that's sort of in a nutshell how I got from point A to point B. And I've now been in the public sector supply chain for, since 2004. So what is that, about 16, 16 years? It's interesting. It's, it's supply chains are supply chains. They all plan, source, make, deliver, return, and enable. But the difference here in the public sector is at least in things like public transportation and public housing, et cetera, there's another thing where you're, you know, you have a safety factor, you have a, you know, more of a feeling of you have to take care of these, this organization, or you have to take care of people. So there are different stocking requirements uh, require, you know, and, and, you know, especially, you know, there are certain things you don't want to run out of. You're always going to run out of something, but you want to make sure that there's a little bit more of an investment opportunity here. We don't keep as lean as of inventories. We also don't have the profit motive. But at the same time, the requirements are still there to be, you know, as efficient and effective as possible. It's interesting. I teach supply chain classes, as you know. An eye-opener for me this year, actually, I, I taught some classes to military, people that work in the military, which is a public sector. And I keep talking about cost savings and efficiencies, whereas they are focused on the mission, the mission of availability. They are more focused on making sure they have the right product then, you know, as you said before, keeping it lean. Yeah, there is a lean concentration, but that is a big difference that I noticed in my learnings. The thing is, is you really can't mention profit in the public sector because they don't understand it. And they actually kind of, sometimes they actually kind of poo-poo it and say, we don't do that. In fact, it was interesting because when I first came to New York City Transit, the people that I worked with really didn't even consider themselves supply chain people. You know, they didn't, they didn't see that what supply chain people in the private sector, they didn't see any, any connection with that. So one of the things that I was trying to make sure that, I, that they, people understood was that while your supply chains are different, there's also a lot of similarities. We still receive material. We still have receiving reports. We still have inventory. We, we look things up on utilizing, you know, some people use barcodes, we, you know, or you, know, you still have part numbers or SKU numbers, you know, things like that. You still have pick tickets and shipping manifests and all this kind of stuff. Those things, there's always a connection. And helping people that I work with in uh, transit or even at the housing authority see the fact that organizations, professional organizations like APEX or CSCMP had a, um, there was a relevance in those organizations. So I, I was able to get a lot of people to actually get their supply chain certifications through APEX. That's good. Yeah, I actually had a customer that was a government agency just last summer. It was a local, say local Georgia county and their mm -hmm. water department. They have warehouses, you know, to store the pipes and the plumbing and everything else. And they, mm -hmm. so they, they trained four or five of their people. I'm glad was to see the government. Make, it was, yeah, very good point. 
Yeah. And CLTD is Certified Logistics Transportation and Distribution for my audience that may not be astute with Apex. But yeah, that's so that's an interesting fact. I like to see that they're even government agencies are looking at being more efficient and saving money. Yeah, so. and and I'm seeing that more and more. That the it was interesting because um, looking back on my, I was very involved with CFCMP or CLM at the time in Atlanta when you know when I 20 25 years ago when I first you know when I, when we first met met back then, and I was involved in CFCMP or CLM and got into the organization and volunteered and became president. I was actually president of the Atlanta Roundtable for four years. But when I moved up to New York, their CSCMP Roundtable up here wasn't as active. And what became really active, and I got involved in it, was, was the Apex chapter. And so I got involved in that. And that's, it was interesting because back when I was still in Atlanta, I took one of the CPIM modules, I took the, f- the first one, base, what, you know, what we still call basics of supply chain. Then I got busy and things happened and I, uh, I let it go. In 2005, when I was up in, uh, by this time I'd moved to New York, they were just coming out with the certified supply chain professional. So I said, this is really you know, something that I would be interested in. And so I, I, I got involved in that and I started taking it. And I took the, and I actually uh, took the very first CSCP exam, which was the paper test. And we had to go, I actually had to go to um, the Marriott at the uh, Newark airport. I was living in New York at the time, but we had to go over there, spend a, spend a night there. My wife and I went over, kind of made it sort of a little mini vacation. And of course, then I took the three-hour exam, or four-hour exam back then. And uh, it took like two months, three months, I don't remember exactly, to get the results back because they still had, they had done all the background on it and all this kind of stuff and, and, or, or done the cut score that they do now and all this kind of stuff. So when I finally got it, I turned out I, was, I passed. So I was one of the first people to uh, get a CSCMP, get the CSCP. And then I went back and I, I said, maybe I'll go back for my CPIM. Back then, it was five exams, and I called Apex, and I said, you know, I took this one back in 2001, you know, this one exam. She says, yeah, this, it's still good. So I was, you know, still, still under that. So within, took me, it took me a year, but the next, within the next year, I, by May of 2007, I had my CPIM. Then I started writing articles and doing presentations at the conferences for, you know, stepped into that role. And so by the time I recertified for my CPIM, I had enough points to get my fellowship. And then, uh, again, got involved at the national level with the uh, certification group. So I started working with the the certification committees on on CPIM. We were writing test questions and doing all that kind of stuff. And that was a whole different area of getting involved. And, you know, at first I, I knew nothing about what I was doing and, you know, finally fell into it. I had some really good people I was working with at the time. And then finally, as you know, a couple of years ago, the CLTD comes out. And I was on the CPIM, one of the CPIM uh, committees. And I went to the Apex people and I said, look, you don't get to start a new certification every day. I said, I want to get on the certification committee for CLTD. 
And they said, okay, well, you got to get off. You got to resign from the CPIM committee, but we'll put you, we'll put you on that. And so now I'm on the certification committee for CLTD. I was one of the very first people that I took the exam, the very first, the CLTD exam, the very first day it was available. That was in what, December, 2018, I think it was. Took it on the very first day it was available. And then um, in 20, January of 2019, they allowed fellowships for both CSCP and CLTD. Interestingly enough, and this, this in $2.85 will get you a cup of coffee at Starbucks, but I became the very first person to get a fellowship in all three in January of 2000, what was it, uh, 2019. And Gary, what, what is a fellowship? What does that mean? A fellowship is, the, that's the F designation afterwards. They now call it like a CPIM-F and the CLTD-F and the CSCP-F. It's really designated to, for people who have, as they call it, given back and added to the body of knowledge of supply chain through doing presentations, through writing articles, through you know uh, training, et cetera. In the old days, the vast majority of uh, fellowships were awarded to academics and, and to trainers such as yourself. I'm one of the very few that is actually a practitioner that has this. Uh, this. And really, only about 3% of, of, of those who have certifications actually have the fellowship designation. You're in rare air, for sure. Yeah. Well, so are you, since you're, since you're also, you know, and, and, and you and I are probably one, are, are some of the few triple threats around. But, so you, it sounds like in getting involved is, is part of your nature. You, were, you mentioned you were president of CLM in Atlanta. Now you're involved speaking. I, I assume you attend chapter meetings when you can, when yes. they're held. I was just on a virtual chapter meeting today with the Long Island chapter. Part of my nature now, the thing is, is that as a supply chain person, I really feel that as a, even a worker today, what you've got to do is you've got to stay relevant. And the key to, to me, in, especially in supply chain and staying relevant, is being involved through re- reading supply chains, being involved in your, your local chapter or your national chapter, going to the, the conferences, being part of these things, and staying involved. Because it's amazing how much knowledge is out there, and like you said, a lot of knowledge that is available and you can file it away, use it for, bring it up, you know, later or, you know, meeting all of a sudden you'll, you'll say, wait a minute. I just remember, you know, I was at, at a meeting a couple of months ago where they discussed this and it, it's something you can bring out and you can contribute in, in your daily lives. There's a, there's a real relevance to it. You take it another step though. And you write, you're quite a prolific writer. I think you've written for Apex magazine several years, and I just saw another article, what was it called, After the Dust Settles, uh, of a different, uh, different uh, magazine. I started writing for what was called Apex Magazine. I think the first one I wrote was in 2010. It was uh, about the Housing Authority, and New York City Housing Authority, and what we were doing there. I, I did, wrote a couple of articles there, and then when I went over to um, New York City Transit, they asked me to write the executive view column in, in Apex magazine. And I wrote that for about, for, for, for over four years. Then I didn't write for a while, but uh, during the pandemic, I, I, I looked it up, you know, started thinking about what, uh, what was happening. 
And the result was that article after the dust settles, which is in supply chain management review in the recent November issue, talked about what was happening, what's happening in business, how things are changing in business. As your friend Scott Luton likes to say, business is becoming more democratized. Not, that's, you know, not, not so much Democrat or Republican, but really becoming more accessible to a lot of people. And we're moving from the philosophy that the purpose of business is totally just to make a profit to the purpose of business is to make a profit, but also make a difference. You know, you're starting to see that more and more now uh, with, with, with companies and, you know, they're caring more and more about the environment, et cetera, and more and more about their people and the people that, that are not only the people who work for them, but the people that, that are their customers and the people in general. In the article, I talk about the fact that in order for companies in a post-COVID world to survive, not only to survive, but to actually thrive, you have to develop and be adaptable. To be adaptable requires two things. One, you have to be resilient, which means when you have a shock hit you, you know, some sort of a disruptor hit your business, you have to be able to absorb that shock. And then you have to be agile, which means the other part of it is you have to be agile in that you have to be able to then, once you've absorbed the shock, you need to quickly pivot and do something to be able to move into a different business direction so that, you know, to be able to grow your business. And so I looked at this and I, I came up with eight steps for resiliency. And it's detailed in the, in, in the article, and I'm really proud of it, but it starts out by saying, the first step is to create a vision and culture of true end-to-end -end visibility. And that takes a long time to do, but I mean, it's, it's something you have to start and start now to be able to get to because a lot of companies who haven't started that aren't around anymore. I look at JCPenney, the company I started out with is, you know, is, uh, has filed for bankruptcy. And I, I was a second generation penny person. I, you know, I don't know if you read, I have a, post in my LinkedIn about, I called it the death in the family. And it was like, what happened? My feelings about what happened to pennies, because I think they lost sight of their vision. But then being able to leverage technology, the second step is leveraging technology that, that speaks to that vision. You have to keep going back and tying into that vision. Uh, but leverage, leveraging the appropriate level of technology, whether that's warehouse management systems, transportation management systems, artificial intelligence, et cetera. Third thing is to look at and implement company-wide continuous improvement programs. You have to continue to improve and you have to get your people involved in that improvements process because without getting those people involved, uh, you can never really develop and change your culture. The fourth step being emphasizing planning over forecasting. Forecasting is a great thing. You, you, you need to forecast and understand what, what's, what's going to happen. But the, the bigger part of that is really planning and being able to, because forecasts, you know, you're always kind of chasing things. Planning, you're getting out of, in, in front of it and becoming much more proactive. Number five is segmenting your supplier and customer bases because just like no two employees are the same, no two customers are the same. No two suppliers are the same. You have to treat them and divide them up into your, your 
whether it's profitable versus non-profitable, whether it's uh, and and from a, a supplier standpoint, whether they're there, whether whether it's a commodity or whether it's a bottleneck type situation, or whether it's a, a, a those are critical suppliers that'll shut you down if you don't have you know if you don't take care of them and if you're not paying attention to them. The next step, number six, is developing a risk risk analysis plan, making sure that you understand whether it's a SWOT analysis or or whatever, but understanding what are your your risky suppliers, your you know your risky customers, what you know whether they're you know profitable, unprofitable, what what things are happening because generally a customer customer goes belly up and it's a fairly in you know it's a JC Penny and you're you're a uh, uh, supplier to JC Penny and they're not paying anymore, you're in trouble. You're in big trouble. Number seven is really making a switch from purchasing to true procurement and setting up programs where you, as again, that's part of your customer, your supplier segmentation, but also understanding how much does it really cost to procure that, you know, you're not just a transactional analysis, but you really have to partner with your suppliers because you have to look at it as especially your, your critical suppliers. Those are your long-term organizations that you need to have long-term relationships with. And then finally, and this sounds really mundane, but the final step is really implementing sales and operations planning or some sort of situation like that. Here at the MTA, we don't have sales. So I'm trying to sell it as demand and operations planning. So you understand the idea is to balance demand and supply and get people in the same room to talk to each other that are from different segments of the organization to be able to say, my customers say this, my my finance people say this, my warehousing people say this is what I've got, and my operations people say this is what I need. And getting people to talk instead of pointing fingers at each other, which they do when they're not in the same room, get them to actually talk about the issues and take away their excuses, so to speak. It's a good accomplishment to get published in Supply Chain Management Review. Kudos to you there. And then two, it, as, I, as I reviewed the article, I thought, this is great. This, this is so boring. I could read it forever. For my, my CPS, CSCP students, Gary, it's almost a CSCP synopsis if you look at kind of the, what they're talking about in general. One of the things I'm following in the, in the market now is multi-enterprise supply chain business networks. It's getting companies to that level four of the maturity model, which if you want to know more about the level four, I encourage you to, to check out the article. But that's kind of a, a new market that I'm looking at. And then I started out the conversation talking about being fair to the people. And that's a concept we talk about in CSCP called triple bottom line, people, planet, and profit. So it's mm-hmm. taking a holistic view. And then a few other things that you just started talking about, segmenting suppliers. That's that's the, the Kraljic model, for example. And, then, yeah. and a lot of these things I don't expect you to know, but you probably do. But it's, these are just things that, that resonate with me. They're so boring that I, I have to keep keep listening. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the whole thing being is that I always look at supply chain as a, in some ways, as a continuous game of whack-a-mole. Something comes up, you got to deal with it. But the thing is, is you have to get past that whack-a-mole stage and become more of a proactive and be able to know where the problem is going to come up and be able to deal with the problem before before it becomes a problem. And that's that's the real test of you know making sure you have the right technologies and the and the right people in place, et cetera, to be able to do that because you can do it with 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 less people because you can always do robotics and things like that. But the thing is, is that you still need to 
have the people in place that can make the decisions. Yeah, that's why I'm keen on this whole multi-enterprise networks. I don't know say segment or industry because a large part of what they have is control towers, which, you know, mm-hmm. as you say, it, it kind of lets you know which whack-a-moles are going to come up, and then it takes you to the next level of, of true collaboration with your partners. I'm, I'm glad you, you take the time to share your thoughts in your articles and, and those types of things. If I could shift gears just a little bit, you're, you're fairly involved with Apex as a mentor, is that correct? Yes. Apex has had a formal mentoring program for at least three or four years or something like that. And I've been involved in it from that formally, et cetera, as long or as long as I can remember, they've had Apex scholars going to a conference every year. They always look for who they can match these scholars up to and say, would you mentor them? And so I've been doing that for a number of years. You know, I've done it formally, I've done it informally, et cetera. I've got students basically from all over the world that I've been doing this for, for years with. And, and um, you know, you go through it, you start out with, with them at the conference, and you keep going with them. Sometimes they, they fade out, but I'm still in contact with students that I've been a mentor with for five or six years. And I've seen them go on to, to do great things. I, one young man I was a, had been a mentor to started out as an intern for a company up here called Fresh Direct, which is a, a, an online grocery store in the New York City area. He then got a permanent job with them, and he worked for them a number of years, and then uh, last year took a job with Amazon and has been out there ever since and has been doing really, really well. I just had another young woman today. Has been She was involved this year. She's graduating, and she just got a, a job with a soft drink bottling company on the West Coast. What we did was we talked about what to talk about and what to do and how to approach these uh, different opportunities. It's It's been really, really uh, rewarding because seeing these young people just absorb all this these these opportunities and seeing seeing them grow and mature and everybody stands on the shoulders of people before them. You know, I had mentors in my life, you know, that I still think about and I get misty-eyed when I think about you know, the help that I've had over my years. And I look forward and I I say, that's the kind of opportunity I want to be able to give young people nowadays, especially in in supply chain, because it's just a matter of being able to to help the next generation and seeing seeing them succeed as well, because this is a a profession that I absolutely love and want to see it continue to improve in, you know, the level of excellence. That kind of feeds into my to my last question, or I want to get your perspective on it. One of the things I see throughout doing my own podcast, as well as listening to Supply Chain Now, which you referenced earlier, is most people have a mentor somewhere in their career, whether it's their life mentor or their career mentor. That's kind of what I'm seeing. And, I, and I'll just give, for example, a recent episode I watched with that you commented on on LinkedIn, Gary, was Stuckey's. Stephanie Stuckey, she talks about having the company name and, and her last name. But if you listen to the show, which I encourage everybody to listen to, it, she talks about Al Gore and Michael Coles and, and quite a few other people that have had an impact on her on her mm-hmm. as a CEO. So I don't care what level in the company you are, everybody can benefit from having a mentor. So that feeds into my last question. So anyone that's that's trying, that's think maybe they're in college thinking about what should they study or they're coming out of college or there's a third one. They're an experienced professional and they want to get into supply chain management. What, any suggestions you have for people? Again, I, I, I start out by saying, you know, I, I have been in this profession my entire life. 
and now that's oh, that's professional by professional life, and now that's over forty years, and it's always been a challenge, and it's always been a fun thing to do. You know, it gets me up in the morning to get into it. First of all, start start reading some basic things. One of the best books, if you've never read about supply chain, you don't you don't understand. Get supply chain for for dummies by Daniel Stanton. That gives you some good basic things to look at, et cetera. Read about leadership. John Cotter's book on leadership is is absolutely fantastic. The focus needs to be on get on LinkedIn, get involved, get involved in the lo- your local Apex chapter or CSCMB chapter. Connect with people on a, on a local basis. See what they're doing. Find out what jobs are available, what things are you want to do. Because the thing about this this business is, if your background's in IT, there's plenty to do from an, from an IT standpoint in supply chain. If your background is in management, there's plenty to do there. If your background is in sales, there's plenty to do there. If your background is is in, in analytics, there's you know there's there's plenty to do in that in that area. That kind of leads me to one of the other things that I look at when I look at hiring people. As I, I look look for for three things or the potential for three things. One, are they a good analyst? Can they look at a, a set of facts and figures and come up with a reason to do something, or or what what is the data telling you? The next thing is 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 looking at the opportunity of what kind of abstraction skills they have. What kind of background do they have, and how can they draw from that? to come up with new solutions. We always used to call it in the architectural and engineering world, transferring technology, being able to take some sort of a a concept that we used in a chemical plant and to be able to use it in a discrete manufacturing plant or vice versa, you know, that type of thing. And then finally, this is something that I I learned later in life, but I think that it's going to be, it's very, very apropos, especially now is to develop some sort of financial skills. You don't have to be a financial wizard to be in supply chain, but you have to understand finance is the language of business. And to be able to make sense to upper management and to different parts of management, the CFO, the CEO, et cetera, you have to understand how to do a payback analysis, how to do a break-even analysis, how, you know, how to, to look at things and you know, discounted cash flow, things like that and have some rudimentary background in finance so that you can sit down with somebody or do a presentation and say, from a financial standpoint, this makes sense for because of A, B, and C. And those are the things that I look, look for. So those, you know, if, you, if you're good in analysis, but you're not good in transferring technology, work on that. If you need to get uh, finance, there are plenty of finance books that are basic finance books that you can you can read and get some understanding of, you know, ROIs and discounted cash flows and things like that to be able to to work yourself around a, a spreadsheet. That's excellent, Gary. I've actually been taking notes here myself. Are you guys doing any hiring? Unfortunately, right now with the, the MTA, we're having a lot of issues with the fact that right after COVID hit in March and April and May, at like 20% of our uh, daily ridership. I think we're up to about 35% right now. So not only the MTA, but all of public transportation across the country is in dire financial straits. And, you know, so hopefully there'll be some uh, relief coming, you know, as far as uh, 
you know, from the federal government, et cetera. And as things come back and there's a, while there's no real reason because to fear getting COVID from being on public transportation, uh, if you wear a mask, buses and subways and rail cars are cleaned every day, multiple times. Right now is a great time to be able to, if you need to get out and get into the city or whatever, get around on public transportation. Public transportation is the way to go because there's not a lot, it's, the crowds aren't there. But we need to we need to get that back. So yeah, right now we're we're kind of on a hundred hiring freeze, and there's you know there's some things there. But the thing about general generally about supply chain is supply chain is uh, a growing industry. There's a lot of opportunities and a lot of things, and the public sector will be back as well. I appreciate your vision there and, and suggestions on people's careers in supply chain. My suggestion would be follow Gary Smith on LinkedIn and read as much as you can from him, and then maybe also get involved. Yeah. Uh, get involved with an association, as Gary said, C- CSMP or APEX, but my preference is APEX. So I try not to say it, but it's been an interesting conversation for a boring <laughs> show, so thank you for that. Well, thank you, and uh, just one more uh, plug is yeah. I do have another article coming out in uh, Supply Chain Now, which is uh, the ASCM or APEX uh, uh, magazine in, in January on strategic planning. Look for that coming up. I plan to be writing more in, in the next couple of years to come anyway. You're a good supply chain ambassador, Gary. Thanks for investing time with me. Supply Chain is Boring is part of the Supply Chain Now network. We highlight historical events, companies, and people in supply chain management and create a picture of where the industry is headed. Interested in learning more about supply chain technology startups, mergers, acquisitions, and how companies evolve? Take a listen to Tequila Sunrise, crafted by Greg White. Or check out This Week in Business History with Supply Chain Now's own Scott Luton to learn more about everyday things you may take for granted and pick up short stories you can use as general conversation starters. The Logistics with a Purpose series puts a spotlight on neat and interesting organizations who are working toward a greater cause. If you're interested in logistics, freight, and transportation, take a listen to the Logistics and Beyond series with the Adapt and Thrive Mindset Sherpa, Jamin Alvarez, And check out the newest program, Tech Talk, hosted by industry veteran and Atlanta's own, Corinne Bursa. Bursa will discuss all things digital supply chain. If interested in sponsoring this show or others on Supply Chain Now, send a note to chris at supplychainnow.com. And remember, supply chain is boring. You know how to make God laugh is to tell him your plans. So, so you gotta, you know, you know those types of things. You know, can always go down the win- uh, out the window. You know, I, I never, I never in my wildest dreams ever, ever thought I'd be moving to New York, much less live in the city for eight years, much less have a career or even have a career in the public sector. So, you you just kind of kind of go where where the opportunities lie.